Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get. Knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here with an amazing, amazing background, but also incredible products. I'm actually holding Fig One right now, one of their incredible products. Uh, We'll get the co-founder, one of the co-founders, and the chairman of Fig One to chat with us a lot more about these products. But we have Kim, Kimmy Scotty, who is the co-founder and chairman of the skincare company Fig One, the beauty brand that delivers science-backed, refillable, and priced-right skincare products with clinically proven results. And she is a serial entrepreneur and uh, self-professed skincare junkie. I love it. Uh, She wanted to change the landscape for consumers to have beautiful skin with great product formulations without breaking the bank. And she wanted the average person to not only be able to afford great skincare products, but also understand that there are ingredients that are better for you. And she's done that. It's an incredible product. And uh, by the way, Kimmy is also a founding partner at Venture Capital Fund 8VC. So we're going to chat a little bit more about that, too. And I'm excited to not only get the products, but also meet Kimmy because I am so impressed with her story. So I will uh, leave it at that and we'll talk a lot more about it. So welcome, Kimmy. How are you? I'm so good, Kara. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm such a fan of Hint and everything you've built and also so grateful for the you know female entrepreneurs who have come before me. Awesome. Well, thank you. And so before we get started hearing a lot more about Fig One, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey. And I'd love to hear kind of even before you started Fig One, what were you doing? I heard you started your first company at age 15. I mean, just incredible. So fun. So I did. I started my first company when I was in high school. It was a jewelry brand called Mims, which is my family's nickname for me. And so I really, you know, I, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. The story goes that when I was a little girl, I was um, probably six years old. I made my grandmother a necklace. It was too short. And so she asked me to add two inches. And so I calculated the cost of the beads 
and I charged her for the two inches. <laughs> my God. And that was my first six-year-old entrepreneurial endeavor that turned into, you know, me at 15, really starting us, you know, a small brand. And this was, um, you know, this was 20 plus years ago, right? This was like almost 24 years ago today. And I, you know, that entrepreneurial bug never went away. I've been building ever since. And so I built MIMS for about seven years. It took me all the way through college. I went to FIT. And, you know, if someone remembers me from FIT, they probably remember me asking them to work nights and help me string beads um, or, you know, do some metal work or something like that. And so I used to put up signs in the hallway that I needed peace labor and oh I would pay cash. And yeah, it's so crazy. I would drop them off a box in the in the evening and pick it up in the morning and pay them cash. And so it was so, you know, it was it was really, you know, the start of, you know, what became, a, you know, an entrepreneurial career. And how were you selling these products? So it's so funny. First, I, you know, I would go to um, Lucky Magazine, my favorite magazine at the time. I remember and, Lucky. You know, when- yeah. And obsessed um, with Kim France and that whole like it was really you know, eye-opening, I feel like, and really changed the magazine landscape because it was really the first magazine for shopping. And I actually literally think it might even be their tagline. And what that meant for me is that I could look at all of the brands that I thought I was like or thought I paired well with, right? So this was like the heyday of all the diffusion lines, Mark by Mark Jacobs, right? Like all of the new like less expensive, but still designer and fashion forward collections. And I was my my brand was really, um, you know, a contemporary jewelry brand. And so it used semi-precious stones, but still used gold and silver. And so it really fit in well with that category. And so I would look for those brands and then call stores in the magazines because their phone numbers were right in the magazine. It was like, buy this dress at um, bio in Soho or something like that. And so Bio's not there anymore, but I, you know, I loved that. I loved that store. It was my first retailer. And I would literally just call on the stores and I pounded the pavement, the, you know, the way that you really have to when you're a young entrepreneur. And then what? Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. What happened to MIMS then? Yeah, later on, when I was in college, I was at FIT. I did a bunch of trunk shows um, within the Bloomingdale's stores in New York. And so I started selling in Bloomingdale's. And it was such an amazing, um, you know, amazing experience to be a young entrepreneur really on the floor and seeing my own customers and hearing what they wanted and to have the support of a retailer that I so admired. And so I, you know, I had such a great experience um, and that was really my goal was to sell into Bloomingdale's. And so I built that company uh, for seven years, like I said. And then when I graduated FIT, I went to work inside of a family office and I didn't even know what a family office was, but they were looking for someone entrepreneurial to help them build companies. And 
when I went there, they said I had to wind down the jewelry business to take the job. (laughs) And so I did. I did my last season. It was so great. I really went out with a bang. I was um, on the runway for Project Runway. I did the accessories for one of the one of the runners up, Dan Bosovic, who's I knew from college and was an incredible talent. And he had me do um, accessories, um, really hair pieces, metal hair, hair pieces for his runway. And that was like a big, you know, I went out with a big bang. Oh, that's wild. And so yes. did you, after that, what, you're working in the family office, like what other kind of businesses were you building? So fun. So the next, the business I went to work on inside of this office was called Works by Nicole Williams. And Nicole is, she's really like a sister to me. I don't know if you've had a chance to to meet her, um, but she, you know, actually, your um your brand was one we talked about often when we were we would talk about yeah it's so nice we would talk about women who were building you know on their own who were really you know creating their own path to success separate from sort of the you know industrial complex of companies and you know yours is a name that came up um marcia from bliss like all of the um, really amazing founders that we admired and we talked about if if Martha could make ironing and crafts and the home really exciting That's then it. works and Nicole could make career really exciting and you know help women you know really strive for what they deserved and 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 get it and get the tools you know to really reach their wildest dreams and so I worked on that business for a number of years um, we put a book out called Girl on Top. It was the top 20 dating rules turned into career strategies. It's so Love it. amazing. Really fun. Like all the things that you used to read, like, oh, play hard to get and, um, you know, don't accept a, you know, Friday interview on Wednesday kind of thing. <laughs> and so it's really fun. And, you know, so I worked on that business and then ended up co-founding a number of other companies while I was in this office. So, the founder gave me two rules and I thought these were now when I hear them, they're crazy, but I thought they were the best two rules I've ever heard. He said, you you can build whatever you want, but you can't spend very much money trying and you have to be profitable basically immediately. And those were the two rules he gave me on my first day. And I thought, isn't that what business is? Yeah. Right. I thought, Yeah, I was like, of course, you know, because I was building my jewelry business to make because I needed the cash, right, to get through college and everything. And so I, you know, I really um, thought that I was like, duh, that's the the, that's the greatest. Those are the greatest rules ever. I could build whatever I want. And we ended up building a sports betting business. We ended up building probably most um, importantly, a prescription affordability company that helped you know, many tens of millions of Americans afford their prescription purchases. And it's, um, you know, it was an early, you know, sort of an early business. Now we now we see that format more often, like Mark Cuban is building there, right? And we see more companies in that space. But this was the first of its kind, really. That's amazing. What was the name of it? It was called Script Relief. And, it's, oh. and ultimately, United Healthcare bought it. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Really, really wild. Yeah, so, so you're... So you're the co-founder and chairman of Fig One. Why did you decide to start this company? Okay. First of all, as you said earlier, I'm a skincare junkie. Uh I I think 
before everything, right? I'm an 11-year-old girl and my mother is giving me a Clinique yellow cream sample that she got in like a gift with purchase at Bloomingdale's. And that was my first sort of foray into having a beauty routine. But I've had one ever since. It's the it's really the first thing I can remember like deciding I was doing this ritual of, oh, I'm going to put my cream on in the morning and my cream on at night. And, you know, I really, you know, have continued to be obsessed with beauty since and also the changing nature of the beauty industry and what, um, you know, what beauty means and for my, you know, what it means for me and others. Like for me, it's really about being confident. And I think, you know, when you're a teenager and you're sort of going through that like acneic period of your skin, your hormones are raging and, you know, you're, you know, you're just trying to like really fit in, right, is, is really what everyone's doing. Um, it's so hard. It's so distracting. And so I really think that great skin builds confidence and putting your best face forward is really, you know, really important to be able to keep your mind on what matters and really focus on, you know, the tasks at hand versus like, oh, am I, you know, I have a pimple. Can everybody see it? And trying to cover things up. And that's the other thing. I kept looking around, you know, I was like in the, you know, I feel like when I was growing up, it was like the heyday of foundation. It was like everyone was just like covering up, you know, covering up everything. And I remember, you know, getting my makeup done at the, you know, at the Mac counter for like junior prom and saying like no foundation. Like I just want, you know, I want my like natural skin to come through. I have little Mm -hmm. freckles. I want my freckles out. And, you know, I felt like this there was this like tendency to do to like cake on and i really feel like right and i feel like having great skin and being able to let that shine through and wear very lightweight makeup actually makes it wearable all day right you can that's when you can really go day to night is um you know is that your your skin underneath is a great foundation for everything you're putting on top and you know, I think that's why I got obsessed with skincare and, you know, as being part of the most important part of my routine. And so that grew into an obsession with ingredients, the cost of skincare. You know, I spent a lot of my career building affordability, you know, oriented products and, you know, especially in the prescription space. And I felt like I was spending thousands of dollars on beauty products and in particular my skincare routine. And so, you know, I would, you know, I, I, you take a lot of care of my skin. My friends are always asking me, my family's always asking me, what are you using now? You know, what's the, you know, what's the best serum? What's the best, um, you know, what's the best moisturizer? What's the best eye cream? And I'm looking at all my products going, these products are two, three, $400, $1,200 a bottle, you know, for some of these products. And I'm like, this is not achievable for uh-huh. almost anyone. And so sure I can do it, but like, what am I going to do? Tell my sister I'm using a $1,200 product. My face, she'll look at me like I'm insane. And so I'm like, I'm from Queens. There's, you know, no one's spending 1200 bucks on their, on their products. And so I said, what's making these products so expensive? I started digging into the industry, meeting with all of the top dermatologists, the head of Harvard Derm, Stanford Derm, Penn Derm, UCLA Derm, all of them, and asking them what's the most important ingredients in skin. And really focus my attention on healthy aging. How do you keep your skin aging, you know, beautifully? And they all were saying the same ingredients. 
Mm. retinol, vitamin C, but you know, it's nothing really new. And when I went researching the COGS, the cost of goods for, you know, for everybody on these ingredients, they weren't that crazy. And I was like, this is really a brand premium that we're paying. And so I found, you know, I found that really frustrating. I partnered with two people I'd come, you know, across during all of my research phase, Dr. Courtney Rubin, who's an amazing board certified dermatologist. She's my co-founder. And she was she was at Penn when I met her. Then she practiced at Harvard and, and now she's in private practice in LA. And Lizzie Trellset, our head of chemistry, who I love so much. She came out of Columbia University and she's a fabulous um, cosmetics obsessed head of chemistry. And we together created the, you know, the big one lineup. That's amazing. Well, and they're incredible, incredible products. But I also love the fact that they are affordable, too. So your strategy has really been not just to be in D2C, but also get into places where people can buy them that it's, you know, price accessible. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So I think there's, you know, sort of in the, you know, entrepreneurial vernacular, you hear often and, you know, around distribution or around pricing an idea of accessibility. Mm-hmm. And I think it often means pricing, right? They're they're like, oh, we're accessible, we're accessible. But ordering things over the internet is not accessible for everybody. And, you know, coming to your website to check out, finding you there, I think discovery is hard when you're just D2C as well. And so for me, accessibility meant two things. It meant pricing. So every all of our products are under, really they're under $42, but almost everything is under $40. Um, we've one product over. Um, and those that's our retinol. Our more potent retinol products are over $40. Um, but they start below. And so pricing and then distribution. For me, distribution that's accessible means I can grab it when I'm doing my regular errands. I'm you know, I'm running to get diapers for my twins and we're there. And so that to me meant the pharmacies. And we partnered with CVS who are have been so amazing to us. We launched um, this past March. So just, just a little over a month ago in 3,221 stores. I always say the last one because I think that's as important as all the other 3,200. And I think... Um, it's really putting our money where our mouth is in terms of saying we're an accessible brand. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think just the how many SKUs do you have right now? Such a good question. I think we're about 17 SKUs yeah. right now. And, you know, we're launching, I say it that way because we're launching new SKUs every day. So we we launched with Healthy Aging. Healthy Aging was eight SKUs. And then we've added additional products, additional treatment products. Treatments are um, akin to serums. We, you know, we use the words interchangeably. It's the more, it's potent product, um, you know, for after face wash before moisturizer. (laughs) And we, you know, we've launched additional SKU since. We've also launched our body collection in March. Well, and your body scrub is amazing. It's so good. And then also you and I were talking before we even got started, the uh, face cleansing oil is so, so nice. So it's really different than a lot of other oils out there. So thank you. Highly, so highly recommend it for sure. Such a cult favorite, the micellar oil cleanser. We see it 
We see makeup artists using it and touting it as their favorite. We see them showing their empties. Like, you know, we're we're so obsessed because I'm a beauty junkie. We're obsessed with like Katie Jane Hughes and Aaron Parsons and all these girls. Um, and when they post their empties of micellar oil cleanser, I'm like so jazzed about it. So how are you getting the word out about it? I mean, you're just getting started. So but how yeah. how are you building this brand and and you know, are you using influencers? Are you like, how are you getting the word out? So we do partner with influencers and a lot with micro influencers, right? And so we don't, similarly to the way we think about accessibility in distribution and in pricing, we also think about it in marketing. And so, you know, we want our users to hear about the product from a trusted resource. And that often means a more micro influencer who they really trust to tell us what they're using. And so we gift a lot of product to people, which, you know, a lot of brands do. And, you know, we're often not even paying for, you know, for posts. It's just something that they're using in their regular routine. We also love the professionals category. So um, right now, about 70 different dermatologists and med spas distribute our product. We think of the dermatologist and the esthetician as like a first order recommender, right? That's mm-hmm. that's your most trusted resource. If your dermatologist tells you to do something, you do it. And mm-hmm. so we love working with the professional channel. And we think of derms, estheticians, and the professionals, you know, that are also using in Instagram and other social platforms as part of the way they talk about skin. Um, you know, they often will talk about our products there too. And so we think of them as as our own influencers. I love it. So you're a serial entrepreneur and you're also a partner in the VC firm 8VC. And I love that. You don't find very many entrepreneurs who are actually um, splitting their time between both places, which uh, you are. Talk to me a little bit about uh, how you made the decision to do both. Amazing. Um, It's interesting. It's almost like a decision I didn't actually make. It's uh-huh. part of who I am. I've always been an entrepreneur, which we've been talking about. Um, I wrote my first check in 2012 into a friend's company, um, two girlfriends. Sakara Life is the company. You probably also know it. It's we've more, had them on like it's more here. Yes, exactly. They've yeah, been guests. More your category than mine. And, you know, I I was saving... Um, I was starting to save money to go to business school while I was building Script Relief. And I thought I would go. I always thought that after I was done with that particular build, it would be time and I would go, you know, I'd go to school. And I, you know, I reached out to one school and they um, basically gave me an adjunct professorship. And I was like, I don't know, like, (laughs) this is not what I wanted. I really wanted to like sit in school like a regular student you know, but you start building a big company and people, you know, they're, you know, they start taking you less seriously as a student. <laughs> and so I I took that money and I gave it to Danielle and Whitney, actually. And they only learned recently that it was all the money I had in cash. I was, you know, I didn't have any cash, right? And so as often entrepreneurs don't, you're very tied up in the businesses you're working on. And so I um, I had $25,700 and I gave them $25,000. And they, you know, they were like horrified to learn this. They were like, didn't you sign some piece of paper saying you were allowed to do this? I was like, yeah, sure I did. (laughs) So it was so funny. And and that really started my career as an investor. 
I fell in love with investing. I got to learn a lot by investing in their business, but also others. And so that's that was my start as an angel. I started um, joining New York Angels, an angel investing group here in New York. I learned a lot from the other investors around me. And then when, you know, when I was working my way out of building, you know, the prescription affordability company, um, I said, you know, I think I'm going to raise a small fund and ended up partnering with my amazing partners. They're like my brothers, Joe, Drew, Jake and Alex at the time. Um, now we're a bigger partnership on a much larger platform and, um, you know, really learned for the like last eight years. I really cut my teeth investing, you know, with the best of the best and fell in love with that process, you know, again and again and working with entrepreneurs, but always joked. I'm in danger of leaving with whoever is pitching, whatever entrepreneur is pitching. I'm obsessed and I'm in yeah. danger of leaving with them and, yeah. you know, really, you know, couldn't help but build. And so we we started a platform. Part of ABC is Build, where we can co-found companies in areas we're obsessed with, have unfair advantages in what you know, whatever the the case. And you know, it's very much case by case, different situations. And when I was looking for a skincare investment to make, it it was clear we should build something new. And so I brought together Courtney, Lizzie, and myself to you know to build the company. And I couldn't do both things without the incredible team I work with. Diana Markman, who's been working with me since Script Relief Days, you know, for a long time, um, really runs the business day to day um, as my really strategic partner in the business. So she's, you know, she's allows me to be able to have that flexibility to both invest and build. That's awesome. So great. So you've seen, you've not only been an entrepreneur uh, and a founder, but also you've invested in plenty of companies and been a part of incubating companies too. So oftentimes for first-time entrepreneurs, uh, not to mention women entrepreneurs, it's really tough. Uh, what what sort of the advice you have in people going out and raising funds today? So so important. So I always tell women, you have to find the right investor for you, not just investor. And you know how important this is. A lot of the time, you know, you have to start with your immediate network. So, so, you know, I might be in someone's immediate network. And even though I might not invest in their category, they start with me. But investors all know other investors. So, when you reach out to that investor that you you know you might have your a closest relationship to a friend of a friend or something i often get this outreach you're not asking them for capital actually what you really need from them is advice on your pitch and then a stepping stone to the investor that's right for them and so that's where i would focus as close of your network as you can that's trusted who can leapfrog you to the investor that's right for your category and really try to leverage those, you know, those connections. If you're, you know, if you're not, you know, in a, you know, in a place or an industry where you have that direct, you know, in to a fund, I would start with local angel groups. So there's every basic, basically every city in town has a local angel group. You don't necessarily need to start with like a big seed raise. You really need to get into a network of investors who can support you from early and help you onto, you know, onto the next investor that they know who's right for you. And so and and start building and getting results. And so I would really focus on 
the network around you and then your local community beyond that. And they will often help you to that next phase. That's great advice. What what do you think are like the key things today that people are looking for that kind of gets them over the hump of investing? Obviously, it's like, you know, it's crazy out there. The markets are crazy. There's all kinds of stuff. Most most of the time, I mean, hopefully people are meeting more and more in person. But over the last you know couple of years, it's been over Zoom. You know, it's like it's hard. Like what what do you think is the uh, the key thing that kind of gets uh, people who are investing over the hump to take a chance on people? What do they need to show? It's such a good question. And I think it's different category by category, but we're talking a lot about consumer. So I would focus there. What they really want to see, what you know, what I really want to see when I'm investing in a consumer brand is an obsessed user. Uh-huh. So the metric that would tell me that your user is absolutely rabid for your product are things like um, repeat purchase rates, right? If somebody's tried your product and then they're back to buy it again, that tells me a lot about your product. Next, I would say is referral rates. If somebody loves your product so much that they tell their friend and they're using those referral codes that you're creating, things like that, that will also tell me a lot about your product, right? It's it's something that um, is showing that the product is quality and That's that right. the consumer is there for it and then wants to hand it to the next person. So that or- those organic growth method, you know, methods and the metrics that describe them, I would say are, you know, repeat purchasing and referrals. And so, you know, the more that you can show around, you know, those, you know, those areas, the better. Yeah, definitely. I always refer to it as like load in as one thing. It's nice to be yeah. able to see that, but are people actually yeah. buying it and are they coming back in to buy it? I mean, that's the beauty of D2C. You can actually truly measure it, but uh but it's um, you know, as time goes on, if you can actually see those repeat purchasers and obviously I, I think it's really helpful that you've been an entrepreneur yourself, uh, with a lot of hustle. I mean, talking about, you know, hanging up signs in the hallways and getting people to help you. I mean, that's really what it takes in the early days. And yes, it takes capital, but it also takes, you know, a lot of rolling up your sleeves and going out and doing things on your own to make it all No happen. job too small. Yeah, yeah. No job too small. You roll up your sleeves and dig in. And also you have to ask for every favor, right? So when you're, you know, when you're in the early part of your build, getting your friends and friends of friends to try your products and give you feedback and really hear the feedback, right? You know, there's, you have to balance it because consumers often don't know what they want until you give it to them, right? So if you ask someone, oh, what kind of skincare do you want? They're probably not going to come up with the actual answer of the thing they need. Um, But if you create something that they can interact with and then give you feedback on that, you'll get much, much, you know, much farther. So, so true. So last question, best advice that you've ever received that is uh, not only uh, helping you as a founder today be able to build your brand, but also something that you think will help a lot of other people too? Such a good question. And I've been, I have been given so much advice, luckily. (laughs) In line with what I was just saying about getting feedback, following and listening to the data that 
you know, whatever whatever it is, the sort of output from your company, right? For for us at Fig One right now, it's it's sales data, it's repeat purchase data, it's lifetime value data, right? It's all of that. Um, but also the comments that come in. I, you know, I'm always reading all night are the comments on our Instagram stories and TikTok and things like that. Um, a lot of important information is in there. Totally. And I have, yeah. And over my career, I, you know, it looks really kind of erratic, right? When you look at, uh, okay, so I was making, I was building a jewelry line and then I, you know, and then there's like magazines and sports betting and healthcare and all these things all over the place. But actually, if, if I describe why every change was made or why every pivot was taken, I was really following data. And data is not always loud. It is often really like, you know, sort of under the, you know, under the radar, you have to dig for it or you have to make sense of it. And so, you know, if I what when we were we were build, building a digital magazine platform when we transitioned into building this healthcare you know prescription affordability company, and if we were just looking at the loud data, we would have thought our health magazine is very popular. And when we actually dug down deep into the information, it was actually an ad in that magazine was popular, right? Uh-huh. It was like a really particular data point that we had to dig for. And, you know, we're in this like digital age where our data is all over the place. And so you really have to, um, you know, you really have to dig for it and then decipher it really intelligently and without your ego as part of it. If I wanted to believe my magazine was successful, that's what I would have seen. But if I wanted, if you want to understand what's really going on, you have to take your what you were hoping for actually out of the equation and instead really, yeah really search for, you know, what's being said. No, I love that. That is such great advice. It's uh, I just had another guest uh, that I was interviewing that is actually an attorney uh, for years and was talking about uh, board governance and fiduciary responsibility and all these different, we're talking about shareholder activism and and anyway, totally different topic, but along the same lines, actually, he mentioned that you know, shareholder activism isn't such a bad thing sometimes. Like sometimes yeah. people might have other ideas about what you should be doing. And, you know, and taking those into account is something that, you know, great CEOs, great founders do as well. So anyway, yes. it has me has me thinking along those lines um, based on what you said, too. So, well, thank you so much. I was going to add one just thought like that's yeah. similar to that, which is take your own customer service calls. Totally. Take your own customers. Yes. Right. I I have often, especially with companies also we invest in, I will often go in and sit and take customer service calls before we invest. Um, or even after the fact, when they're when we're trying to figure out a problem in the business. I'm like, if there's a problem, we're gonna hear it in two days of customer service calls. We're gonna know what it is fast. And so I think that's the other thing you should do is take your own customer service calls and read your own customer service emails. Yeah, totally. Well, in the early days of Hint, I was doing that and I continued to do that all the way through. I would pop in um, and actually it's it's interesting. I would send our interns and to uh, also go and join some of the customer service calls, even if they were an engineering and intern, because sometimes you can actually hear people on the phone talking about things and it may actually have something to do with design or navigation or something. I mean, most of the time it isn't, 
but it might actually. And yeah, yeah. And so you never know how that all, you know, winds together. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kimmy. I loved this. And everybody uh, will have all the info in the show notes. But Fig One is awesome. And follow Kimmy Scott. We'll have all the info. And also 8VC will be watching you too. So, well, good luck with everything and, and very, very excellent products. So thanks again, everyone. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.